Sex and happiness both enrich our lives, yet it's surprising how few people can honestly say that they enjoy regular and fulfilling sex or describe themselves and their lives as happy. Host Lori Handlers helps you to experience real intimacy and happiness. You'll laugh a little, learn a little, and we hope put a smile on your face and a smile in your life. Now here's Lori. Hi, everybody. This is Lori Handlers, and you're listening to Sex and Happiness, a show about sex and happiness. And today is no exception. I have a dear friend on with me, Sam Leibowitz. We haven't seen each other in a while because I haven't been in, of course, with COVID and everything. I haven't been in New York in a while. Sam's in New York. I'm here in Phoenix. And I want to tell you a little about him, and then we're going to talk about his new book. And we'll talk about him, too, you know, how he got to write the book. So Sam is known as a conscious consultant, a mentor, coach, speaker, healer, serial entrepreneur, and author of the number one best-selling book, Everyday Awakening. And um, it's a brand new book. Uh, Sam told me about it. He asked me to help promote it. And I felt like this was the best way to do that, to get him on Sex and Happiness. So Sam, welcome to Sex and Happiness. Thank you, Laurie. Thank you so much for having me on your show. I t- tell you, one of the things that I never realized that publishing a book would do is it's I- I've been having so many interviews and I've been getting on so many different shows. It- it's been wonderful because, you know, I do my own show every week and I'm used exactly. to interviewing other people. So it's nice to be on the other side of the microphone for a change. It sure is. It really is. I totally get that. It's uh, it's a it's a great and it's a great experience to have both sides of it and say, you know, Hmm, I wonder if I would do that. I wonder if I would ask that. Yeah. I wonder if, or this person didn't ask me enough, you know, or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I want to, um, I, before we get actually into some of the content of the book, what I'd like to do is talk a little bit about you. So how I always love to ask my guests how they got to be who they are. You know, like, what, how did you get to be the authority that you are that would write a book called Everyday Awakening? Was this the track or the trajectory that you were on when you were a kid? Um, and is this what your parents expected you to be and, you know, your guidance counselors? Or <laughs> I'd love to ask this. No, you know, no, no, you know, no, definitely as, not. As a human being, like, how did you get to be who you are? I'm just a nice Jewish boy from the Bronx. <laughs> I don't know how this all happened. Um, I, I guess I, when I sort of tell my story, I usually start that, you know, I was brought up in, in a traditional Jewish household. We weren't Orthodox, but we were, you know, just normal, uh, conservative kind of reformed Jews. And but early on, I kind of like I tried to take things seriously as a kid and I went to synagogue when I got bar mitzvah and stuff. But like I just saw so much hypocrisy in it that I kind of lost my belief that regular religion like really like it didn't feel the spirit in it. And so I started you know, just being open and and just asking questions. Well, it's like, I don't know what's true. I wonder what's true. And then I kind of got put on a very spiritual path in, in high, you know, in college, in high school, I had some weird experiences that I really couldn't explain. And that kind of like opened me up to the possibility that maybe there's more to life than just what we see with our physical senses. And then in, in college, 
I met some friends and, and I got put on this very spiritual path, but it, it, it got very messy and very difficult because one of my friends was schizophrenic. I mean, he was brilliant individual, but really messed up in a way. Mm-hmm. And I, I tried to uh, help and do as much as I could at the time. But after a while, I had to just extricate myself from the situation because of I felt like my own sanity was starting to slip. And it was very and and it was very difficult for me because a lot of my identity was tied up in the experience. And, you know, so many friends, my family, you know, everyone thought I was crazy. They thought I had joined a cult. And, and so, you know, I'm kind of one of those persons that when somebody tells me, oh, you're wrong, you're doing something wrong, this and that, I like push more, you know, I'm like that much more. Oh, yeah, I'm going to show you. And, and, and so, <laughs> so when I when I finally left, I kind of like I didn't know what to believe in. I felt like like the universe had pulled the rug out from underneath me and I was just totally like lost. And I just kind of drifted for a long time. It's when I became an entrepreneur. I just kind of focused on making money, just work, business. And and then slowly but surely, the universe kind of will have its way with you whether you want it to or not. Yeah, and right. it kind of nudged me back in this direction. And that's kind of when... It just feels to me, well, I have some questions about the beginning, but um, it feels to me like that's, you know, we met at the New Life Expo in New York years ago. Years ago. And, yeah. that, And that's a place where many people in New York who are spiritual in consciousness um, meet up with each other. Right. And that was relatively early on on me being kind of put back in my spiritual path and it started mm. kind of very subtly like first it was just kind of getting back into personal development yeah and, and and then i started going to these meetings and learning about all these healing modalities and i was taking all these healing modalities not because i ever thought i would be a healer in a million years but more for my own healing because i knew that underneath here there was a lot of emotional uh, trauma and things that, that I needed to work on. But then, you know, there was, of course, that one workshop where you learn a modality and then you practice it on someone. And I helped someone release a condition she had had since she was six years old. And I was like, oh, oh, so like, this isn't just for me. I can like use this to help other people. And then kind of the light dawned on me that, that I actually have a talent for working with people. And then from that, I, I, I kind of got back into spirituality and it was very much like a little bit at a time, little bit at a time, little wow. bit at a time. And over the course of probably about two or three years, and I was like hip deep back into the spiritual community in Manhattan. And it was very interesting because if life had like just thrust me back into the spiritual stuff right away, I would have been running and screaming in the opposite direction. But because it was kind of very gentle and very gradual, it's almost like I kind of didn't even realize what was going on at the time. But then I was able to really appreciate both what I had experienced before and what I had learned before and and realized that there was a lot more to the story than I had realized and, and brought me back to, for me, home. I mean, this is, yeah. in a way, this is who I am. This is what I've always been drawn to. And at the same time, it doesn't mean the path was always easy. And it doesn't mean that I was always prepared for everything that I experienced. Yeah, I get that. I really get that. I feel like that's probably very, very common 
um, for many people. And also when they wake up um, and realize that possibly their religion or their culture, like what's been uh, forced on them, isn't the thing that's really who they are. Um, that for some people, that's a struggle as well. Yeah. My question, I, go ahead. I, I just, one thing I wanted to say about that. So the interesting thing was about six and a half years ago, I got introduced to this shamanic work that I've been involved with. I've been training to be a facilitator. I just recently graduated, but the person who kind of brought me into the work, he was not only Jewish, but Israeli. And it was so funny because before that time, I actually had very few Jewish friends. I actually kind of always kept my distance. But over the last six and a half years, because of doing this work, I've actually gotten a new appreciation for my heritage. I have a lot more Jewish friends than I've ever had before. And now it's, it's, I can appreciate it without being mired in it. That's a really powerful statement. It's really, it's very cool. Me too. I, I mean, my background is similar to yours. I just, when I was 12, I went to the high holidays in September and it was warm out in, in, on Long Island. And um, I couldn't see that anybody was connected to whatever spirit was except through uh, mink coats, you know, like um, (laughs) (laughs) material stuff. And I remember thinking to myself, this is not who I am. And so I just refused to ever go again. And my father was pretty agnostic. Mm. And he, and so he, he won in my family. My mother was Mm. like wanting us to go have, um, Jewish training and my father was like who cares and so Uh, my father won and I was really glad that my father won uh, Um, and then he and I shared the common spirituality a lot in my uh, life um, later on so yeah I just always wondered like what is this you know and maybe there was something too about um, parents and grandparents being survivors um, and and then just going like, I don't want to have anything to, I don't want to keep bringing up the past. I don't want to keep bringing up the Holocaust. I want to move forward. Right. And so I, I, that's how I was. So it's interesting that your, our paths are somewhat parallel there. It's similar, my, except with me, it was the opposite. My father was the religious one and my mother was the oh, non-religious okay. one, but yeah, yeah, mom went out. Interesting. My question for you, my early question for you was when you were talking about being in college and having these spiritual experiences, do they have anything to do with LSD? No, no. But oh, I mean, all, I, huh? I, not at all. But I did, I did experience LSD in high school. I, ah. I think I, I actually started things a little bit younger. And I remember there was one time when I took it, when at, at the peak of it, when it was super intense, I remember having this thought, I still remember it to this day, where I was like, oh, wow, like, this is that experience people are talking about when they trip, that, like, they're in touch with God. But I said, but I know this isn't God. But, like, <laughs> I, for some reason, I was self-conscious enough to know, like, no, this is the LSD. This isn't God. <laughs> but I wow. but I understood why people had that experience, like, had that yeah. 
feeling. And yeah, indeed, the oneness, like a oneness feeling with everything, with molecules and atoms and everything else. Right, yeah. right. And and they've done a lot of studies, especially with psilocybin, about how it can be like a mystical experience for someone. And for me, I actually think the natural plants are much better than than something like LSD. Not that there's not value in LSD. There's tremendous yeah. therapeutic value in LSD and there's tremendous developmental value in it. But I've just, now that I approach things from a much more sacred place, I much more prefer and lean in the direction of natural things. So meaning like psilocybin or ayahuasca, or things that come from plants and, and aren't made in a laboratory. I understand what you mean. Correct. Correct. All right. Well, let's go, let's go into your topic. So um, yeah, we're going to, we're, you've written this book, Everyday Awakening. And so like, give us a little bit of the gist, you know, I'm assuming I'm, cause I haven't read the book. I'm assuming that um, it's about anyone being able to have like an awakening, a spiritual awakening and determine their own path. Right. Well, the subtitle of the book is You Are More Powerful Than You Know. And that's really the main gist of the book. That's great. Now, I, I want people to understand, like, I didn't start off with the intention of writing a book. This actually is a compilation of the best of my blog that I've been writing for the last six years. And, and, and I just started the blog because I needed some content for my newsletter that I was sending out every week. And so I just started writing and I didn't know what to write about. So I just sort of talked about the lessons I was learning in my own personal life at the time. Mm -hmm. And so when the lockdown and, and I've had this idea of thinking about writing a book for the last couple of years, but didn't know what to do. And I'd actually started on a different idea using my my um, my show that I do every week, using some transcripts from the episodes to create a book from it. And this was actually going to be my second book, but then there were all kinds of problems with the person I was working with. And I pretty much lost all of last year, you know, and then nothing came of it. So then when the, so then I decided this year I wanted to do something and I thought, oh, if I do this idea that it would take a lot less time and, and I could get it out this year. So when the lockdown happened, I was like, nope, that's it. I'm not going to live in fear. I'm going to invest in something that I think can really serve people. So I hired a professional editor. We went through my blogs. We, we pulled out like the best of like, you know, several hundred blog posts and organized them into seven parts that are based on the energies of the seven chakras. Beautiful. And, and and what they are are just my reflections of things that I experienced in my life and what was the lesson I learned from it. So it's not really personal stories per se, but it's a shift in perspective. It's it's seeing things from the point of view of being a creator and not a victim. And that's what I really wanted people to get out of this book and the way it's designed is to really show people through lots of little individual shifts and perspectives that we can all come to this awakening that we are much more powerful than we know that we have much more control over our internal life not our external life but our internal life but by having so much presence and awareness of our internal life that that affects our external life and that's where our real power lies beautiful i couldn't agree with you more 
I mean, that's like really the basis of everything that I've been teaching for 20 years, Mm -hmm. but I found it through Tantra. So it's really interesting. You know, like I got on the, first I was in transformation, you know, I worked at Landmark Education and I, you know, I was in, I was definitely a transformation junkie. Mm -hmm. And then, but my body wasn't in it. You know, my body was like, my body was breaking down as I was like distinguishing in my head, this and this and this and this my body got into bad shape um, internally. And so I found Tantra right around Mm -hmm. that time. And all of a sudden I healed Mm -hmm. and I went, Oh, well, I could take all this that I know this stuff and I could put it into this. I can mix it with ancient stuff and then come up with a, a similar thing, you know? Yeah. We're powerful creators. Yeah. And I'm responsible for everything. Everything I think, every every way that I respond, every every interpretation, exactly, and so on. So I mean, and I, that's what I teach people. So I, you know, you and I are like like in total alignment. Absolutely, we are, and and it's interesting because it, it's really I've learned a lot. I mean, I'm not deeply studied in tantra, but I've had like t- met many many people who are deep in the tantra community from doing the shamanistic work that I've been doing for the last six and a half years. And, and, and I have a real appreciation for it because I, I know many people who've gone through ISTA and many of the other trainings and, and it's the same, it's the same idea, just approaching it from a different aspect. Right. Cause and, not everyone's going to go on that route. Not everyone's right. going to take that path there. It's a little scary. Right. 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 Exactly. And, and one of the things that that really for me i have a deep appreciation for is with the shamanistic work we look at the medicine wheel from the point of view of heart mind body and spirit and that all four aspects are four aspects of ourselves that are all equally important and one shouldn't be above the other and if one was i would say it's the heart above anything else but body is just as important as spirit and mind is mind is important, but not as important as what we do in the West where we've glorified the mind and, and so put it up on a pedestal that it's the be all and end all of everything. And we forget that we have a body, that there's stuff below the neck that right. actually is supremely intelligent and can guide us through so many things. And that when the body feels good, the mind feels good, the heart feels good, the spirit feels good. So, you know, it's interesting. It's the synthesis of bringing everything together and, and, and Tantra and, and shamanism, they both kind of do it just using different techniques. Yeah. Well, at ISTA, we combine those. I mean, at ISTA, we combine, um, spiritual sexual shamanism and um yeah that was new for me i mean when i became an ista facilitator it was like okay like what's the shamanic part Mm. and then i realized like i had that i was doing that i was internally Mm. i came to some conclusions and and met in with my own shamanism um unbeknownst to me it wasn't like i started out going i want to know about this it let me know about it (laughs) so you know the ancient sages and the ancient gurus they all said everything we need is within us like you don't need anything external so when you get more and more connected to what's on the inside it's you're going to learn so much of it Mm. that then you're going to come to one of these things and go oh wow it's like my own experience has taught me many of the same principles that these things are teaching us 
Yeah, wonderful, wonderful. What, um, how does this connect with, I know this has a big piece about happiness. Like, mm. <clears throat> what do you think keeps people from being happy? And what can we say to them? Let's say my listeners, somebody has just tuned in for the first time that, you know, that happens a lot. And lots of people have been listening to sure. my show for years. I realize I've been broadcasting for, I actually had my first um, podcast slash internet radio show based on someone that I met, uh, something that I saw at the New Life Expo. I huh? once, I said to myself, I want to have a radio show when I was still living in New York. And then I slid on a, on a slick postcard on my way to the ladies room <laughs> on the third floor of the New Life Expo. And it said, you know, new radio station forming. And I said, oh, this was the banana peel that I was supposed to slide uh, on. <laughs> so that's when it started. It's quite a, quite a few years ago, maybe 12, wow. 13 wow. years ago is when I started. So, um, yeah, what, what do you think keeps people from being happy? And what do you think they could do to change that? I mean, you know, I know for myself, what is your take on that? I feel that what keeps most people from being happy is that they put their own happen happiness last and they're so worried about making everybody else happy. Mm. And the reason why it doesn't work is because what it takes to make your parents happy is different than your siblings, is different than your friends, is different than your partner, it's different than your colleagues, it's different than your employees. It's like everybody wants something different from us. And we cannot stand on our head in enough different directions to make everybody else happy. So when we stop worrying about making anybody else happy and we just focus on our own happiness other people may not be so happy with us, but it won't matter to us because we're being happy. And then we're living as an example of how to achieve happiness. And then they're all going to want to know what's our secret. What did you learn? How did you do it? And, and really, most people, they just want other people to be happy. I mean, we all like being around happy people. Yeah. We all just forget that it starts with us. Right. It's really good. See, I, I have to say, like, wh what I teach people is um, if I can't, if you're a people pleaser and you say yes to me all the time because you're trying to make me happy as if you could, that's like a grand assumption. I actually can't trust your yes. Mm hmm. Like if you don't have boundaries and you don't have the ability to say no, right. and I can trust that no, when I can trust your no, then I can trust your yes. Yeah. Because exactly. if I can't trust your no, I don't want to hear your yes. Your, your yes is kind of bullshit. It's like trying to please me, trying to make me happy, and you can't. Only I can. Uh, I like to put it this way. You can't really give somebody what they need if your cup is only half full right. <laughs> because if your cup is only half full you're giving from your lack so you're not really giving what the other person needs but if your cup is overflowing then you're giving from your abundance now sometimes we need to be overflowing in our own abundance to be able to say no properly to people 
because sometimes it's just if if we're worn out and and we're weak and, and we're just tired it's just so much easier to say yes even though we really don't want to say yes and really it's a no but we're trying to like finagle things because our cup is half full yeah but when our cup is overflowing and we're feeling so good about ourselves then we can say no just because it doesn't feel like a yes to us right and i always tell people no is a complete sentence yes, you don't need to explain it you don't need to get people to understand it it just no because that's what feels right to you in the moment doesn't mean you can't change your mind in the future right. but in the moment no no and and I don't need to explain it. And that is one of the biggest breakthroughs I have found with people when they can get to be able to say no and not have to justify it. Then they're really in alignment with themselves. Yeah. Yeah. It's really good. No, just not feeling it. <laughs> Sometimes right. I say yes to something and then I hear it replayed in my mind in the next moment. And I go, you know what? I just said yes to something that I don't really mean. Yeah. I'm not feeling it. So someone, someone uh, gave me a human design reading several years ago, like seven, eight years ago. Mm -hmm. And one of the things he said that has served me so well is he said that in the moment, I don't even know what I'm feeling. So he said, anyone ever tries to pressure you into saying yes about something, just say, I need to sleep on it. He said, those are going to be like the magic words for you. I need to sleep on it. That's and I've great. used it so much since then. And it really has served me because many times in the moment, we don't know exactly how we feel about something. And we need a little bit of time to get a little bit of perspective to then be able to know, you know what? Yeah, it doesn't feel right. Or you know what? Yeah, it really does feel right. So then when we do say yes, or we do say no, it's really clear we we mean it. And then as you said, people can trust us because we know we're right. Whereas if we just in the moment say yes or no, and then we sit with it a little bit and then we go, oh, you know what? No, nah, it really doesn't feel right. So sometimes the the best things we can do for ourselves is to just take some time. Yeah, just I call it. I call it the 24 hour rule. Yeah. You know, I give it the 24 hour rule. Sometimes I give it the 72 hour rule. <laughs> sure. Sure. I really need to feel into this. This is going to take some time. Yeah. So it's great. Yeah. Wonderful. So let's talk about, um, so how to, you know, because this show is sex and happiness um, and I don't feel like your book is probably written about sex, but you have the body in there. Um, yep. How do you think sex and happiness connect? Well, look, the, the body is the vehicle for the mind, the heart, and the spirit. Sex is a natural human uh, function, a natural human desire. When it's unfulfilled, energy gets backed up things don't work quite right this is why like the whole idea of celibacy for like a priesthood and stuff from you know again coming from sort of the jewish heritage it was like you had to be married to be a rabbi you know it's like right. you had to have a family, you know a wife and kids in order to be able to serve people better to relate to people so for me the idea of celibacy it just didn't make sense however a a, 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 a limited sort of period of time of celibacy 
celibacy can be very good for people because it does help to build up the energy, but it's just not necessarily a lifestyle. It's, It's a certain practice. So, you know, when we have sex, it releases endorphins or there's all kinds of chemical reactions. As a matter of fact, there's this wonderful book called Love and Limerence that talks kind of about the difference between, I don't want to call it lust, but about the the chemical feeling of being in love versus, you know, really being in love. Mm. But even that chemical feeling, I mean, it's necessary for us. It it helps us to get back in our heart space. It, it, it helps the body just function better. I mean, listen, like, you know, if you have really good sex, like the way into our later years, the healthier we're going to be. It's oh, just absolutely. Thank a you. natural, Thank healthy you. part of life. Yes. <laughs> My bell. Yeah, there's been uh, there's been a study on telomeres lately where um, people with who have sex have longer telomeres than people regular sex mm-hmm. than people who don't have frequent sex. So so it has an effect on our later years and longer life. Yeah, so thank absolutely. you for just even saying that. You know, you you uh, you further my cause. Let's talk a little bit about um, the book. When sure. if people get the book, what will they get? Like, what kinds of awarenesses, or you know, will they? I, I hear that it's you know from your blog posting, and like, so, you know, what were you hoping to accomplish? So, so there are 126 different essays in here. And, mm. and the way I look at the book, it's not necessarily something you read cover to cover, just linearly. It's more one of those things that you kind of like randomly flip open to a page and, and like there's a message for you. So this oh, one, nice. I just flipped open to a page and it says the solution to misunderstanding is greater communication. Okay. And it's just like, it's a short, like one page essay all about communication. And so like, that's the message for someone that day. So there's short, like bite-sized pieces of perspectives and ideas floating around that, that you can use as a reference book, as a random, uh, you know, not so random act of of guidance. Yeah. Like Oracle cards in a way. Now, it, it can also be used where, you know what, I'm, I'm having a hard time about something. Let me like just look through the table of contents and see where there's a title that, you know, grabs me like, ah, our relationship to the relationship is more important than we realize. Let me go read that a little bit more. And, and so like that one's all about how, you know, when, we, when we're in relationship with somebody, we always think about, oh, it's my relationship to the other person or it's their relationship to me, but we forget that there's actually this third entity that's created, which is the relationship and our relationship to that relationship is also very important. Yes. Very, very important. We say, Michael and I say that we, people should sink the ship. Like they should. uh, We always tell people that like they should sink the ship and like focus on relating the mm. verb. You know, like not the thing, but the verb. Right. right. That's, that's kind of like my wisdom about relationship. That's but, uh, great. That's I love great. that though. You know, like some people read the I Ching. Some mm-hmm. people, some people have read Osho like that, the book of yeah. Like they open the book and they just read the thing that day. So I love that you have a, a new version of something that's the wisdom from you. 
that's about lots of subjects. Yeah, because it was, again, like just my own process of, of over six years of all these different things. And it's not put in the book chronologically. That's why we, I organized it by the energies of the chakras. So the, the, the first chapter is all about root stuff, foundational stuff, and then, and then growth and disruption and then organization and then relationships, community and et cetera, et cetera. And, and, and so just to, to kind of make some more logical sense. And so, you know, some of the essays are a little longer than the others. Some are a little shorter. None of them's longer than a page and a half or two pages. So very quick, fast to read, you know, in this day and age, we're all so busy. We need things short. And, and I try to make them very sort of practical uh, ideas, you know, things that you can read and relate to and then say, oh, okay. And I usually end each one with like a question, um, uh, so like this, this one I just flipped open to is hate is not about hatred. And it really talks about how it's really things come from our pain. But the very last line is it says, can you find a way not to pass on your own pain? Right? So it gives the reader an opportunity to reflect on their own life and say, oh, you know, yeah, what can I do about this topic? Like, what can I do not to pass on my pain? Or what can I do to do it? So, so again, I, I like things, I can be very esoteric, but I like things to be very practical. And, and, and the, the language that I use in this book is very plain, very simple, very approachable. And that's why I call it everyday awakening, because it's for everyday average people, not somebody who's, you know, on this deep spiritual quest, and maybe they've studied with gurus and everything. I mean, not that it's not for them, but really, I'm really targeting it towards people who are just they're just people who let's say see like the regular stuff doesn't work for them and they're just looking for some different ideas and and they don't know where to turn. And and here is like a whole bunch of things that can help people feel more empowered in this day and age, as you said before, how we all have 100% control over how we choose to show up and respond to any given situation. And if I can help just one person feel more empowered in their own life, then I'm completely satisfied. Beautiful. Thank you. All right. Let's find out how they get uh, the book or how they get in touch with you. Like what are the best ways to connect with you when someone's interested in the book? Maybe they want to get the book and then they want to get in touch with you. Um, What are some ways? I know you have a show. Sure. You have a blog, you have the book. And so let's give people those connections. So I I set up a link to make it really, really easy for people to get the book that will go straight to the listing on Amazon. Okay. And the link is everydayawakeningbook.com. Okay. All one long word, everydayawakeningbook.com. That'll take you right to the listing on Amazon. But you can, uh, we're in all the major booksellers, you know, Barnes and Noble, Books a Million, like everything, even some of the indie stuff. Just search for Everyday Awakening. Um, and if your listeners do it, I actually have a bunch of gifts for them on my website. So okay. after you get the book or order the book, you go to the conscious consultant dot com which is my website 
And you'll see that on the menu, there's a link that says Sam's book. And you go there and you put in your name, your receipt number, and your email address. And then you get access to these gifts that people have donated to me, gifts and discounts on programs and things, meditations, all kinds of stuff that are worth, you know, probably a couple of thousand dollars where you put in your name and then you get access to all this stuff. So you're getting a whole bunch of extra value with it. That's beautiful. And, and, uh, and yeah, and, and you can read my blog on the consciousconsultant.com. Um, and I do do my own internet radio show. I started it when I took over the station 10 and a half years ago, and it's now called talkradio.nyc. And my show is called, strangely enough, the conscious consultant hour. And I do it every Thursday, 12 noon to 1 p.m. Eastern time, New York time except for the last two weeks of the year and the holidays. You know, I take those off because part of being aware and conscious is knowing that it's important to take time off for ourselves yeah. and to rest and relax and recuperate and rejuvenate. Beautiful. Sam, thank you so much for being my guest today. I'm really happy that you did the book. And I'm really happy that I just went, yeah, you got to have Sam on my show. (laughs) Thank you, Lori. I really appreciate it. You know, we've known each other for years. You always hold a special place in my heart. I've always loved your energy and just, and just who you were as a person. Thank you. Thanks so much. Similar, same, same. I have to say, like, likewise, I feel the same. All right, everybody, you heard it here every day, awakening, Go there, the uh, everydayawakeningbook.com will take you to the Amazon link and you can find the book there. And maybe this is just exactly what you needed to hear today. So thank you all of you for being my listeners. Please tune in next time when I'll have another amazing guest. And, um, and this is Laurie Handler signing off for Sex and Happiness. Thank you for joining us today for Sex and Happiness. To learn more about Lori and her work, follow her on Twitter or Facebook. You can send her an email at sexandhappiness at gmail.com. We'll see you again right here next week for another edition of Sex and Happiness. Oh.